Hello, Common Ground, as well as anyone else joining us from wherever you are. Greetings from a very wintry Cape Town. My name is Luke, and I'm really excited. In fact, I'm thrilled to be preaching today from the book of Mark, chapter 5. Mark, if you're new to the Bible, is the second book of the New Testament. It's Matthew and then Mark, and we're in chapter 5. As a church common ground, we've been working through the book of Mark this year, and if memory serves me correct, I think we're in week 14 of our journey into the book of Mark. So probably helpful before we dive into chapter 5 to just recap as to what this book is all about. Well, Mark wrote the shortest, if you will, the most concentrated of all the four gospels. Um, he did it in 16 chapters. And, uh, and, and chapter one and verse one, he launches with his thesis statement. And, uh, and this is what Mark's thesis statement is. He says, Jesus is the son of God who has come as our savior king. Jesus is the son of God who's come as our savior king. And what he does then for the next eight chapters is he's backing that up. He's substantiating it. He's proving it. He's showing us why we as people should believe that Jesus is the son of God who has come as our savior king. And so he's got segments of Jesus' teaching. And Louise and Paul and Lee Morn led us so well through the parables of Jesus. And then there's, there's sections of this uh, book that speak of Jesus' kingly power over, well, over sickness, over suffering, his kingly power over demons. Even last week we saw as Ian preached, Jesus' kingly power over creation itself as Jesus commands the wind and the waves. Next week, I'm thrilled we're gonna be looking at Jesus' power even over death itself. Today, we're in chapter five and what we're gonna see is the titanic clash between good and evil. And not just at a cosmic level out there, but we're gonna see this titanic clash and what it means for your life and for my life as Jesus goes behind enemy lines to restore the humanity of a human being. Uh, so excited today that Greenpoint Congregation is gonna be reading us uh, the scripture from Mark chapter five, verse one to 20. Let's lean in together as we read the word. Mark five, verses one to 20. So they arrived at the other side of the lake, in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, the evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. And the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. 
The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then, those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave him alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with them. But Jesus said, No, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim great things that Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Thanks to our Greenpoint congregation. Let's pray before we unpack what this scripture means for our lives. Come pray with me. Jesus, right now, in every home, in every room, as this word is being watched, God, would you speak to us? I wonder if you'd make that your prayer right now as you sit there. Jesus, would you come and speak to me as we open your word? I pray, Holy Spirit, you would do just that. Speak to us of who Jesus is, of what Jesus has done, and what that means for our lives. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, well, let's jump in together to this uh, chunk of scripture before us. Our big idea for the day is this, that Jesus has true power to bring lasting freedom to our lives. Jesus has true power to bring lasting freedom to our lives. And we're gonna unpack this big idea by looking at three simple points coming straight from this text. And in these three points, we'll see this. Number one, that Jesus has power enough to defeat the darkest evil in our world. And then we'll see that Jesus has power enough to transform our lives as well. And finally, we're gonna see the right response to those two truths, to let the transformation in our lives be a signpost to others. Let's dive right in. Jesus has power enough to defeat the darkest evil in our world. Come, let's look at the scriptures again together. Reading from verse one, uh, as we pick up the story. And so they arrived at the other side of the lake. You get that? They're going to the other side now, in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. With a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. And the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the nearby hillside. Let's stop there together. This is the longest um, version of this encounter of all the gospels. Mark goes into great detail to show us both the, the, the nature of the place that Jesus is in and the strength of the evil that is at work there. I mean, let's pull a couple of descriptors there from this passage. We see Jesus has gone to the other side of the lake now and he's in the region of the Gerasenes. Uh, we see that this man gives his name. He says, my name is Legion for we are many. And lastly, we see a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside. Now, the Gerasenes is a bit of an interesting one because 
commentators are not exactly sure where it is. There's a little bit of confusion about the exact location of this place. But what we know for sure is that this was a very pagan place. This wasn't a Jewish area, which is confirmed by the large herd of pigs. I had the privilege about a year ago of going to Israel. My, uh, Lauren and I, my wife and I went to Israel together. And you know what I didn't see much there? There wasn't a whole lot of bacon on the menu in Israel, right? Uh, Jews don't keep pigs. And there were 2,000 pigs on that hillside. And so what Mark wants us to know is we're not in Jewish country. These guys were not followers of God. The point that Mark is making, and I want to make today, is that Jesus was behind enemy lines. For the Lord of the Rings fans, this is not the safety of the Shire. Jesus is in Mordor, right? For rugby fans, this is like playing against the All Blacks in the fortress of Eden Park in New Zealand. For Cape Townians, I know this isn't the whole of Cape Town, but Jesus is in rival gangster territory. That's what Mark wants us to know. Not only that, this is legion. Now, legion was a Roman military term. It was the largest kind of troop unit used in battle. About 5,600 was what made up a legion in the Roman army. That's what Jesus is walking into. And Jesus triumphs. He triumphs. In fact, there isn't even a context, a contest, sorry. There's no scuffle, there's no duel, there's no fight. If this was a boxing match, we'd all have asked for our money back, right? The fight was over before it even began. The demons just beg for an easy sentence. Mark's point is so emphatic that Jesus's power and authority is such that there is no contest when it comes to a duel between evil and Jesus, his power is unmatched. Now Mark drives this point home even further and he shows us this. He shows us that the demons know who Jesus is. Right there in this passage, we read, the demons refer to Jesus as Jesus, the son of the most high God. Their theology of the Trinity, if you will, is bang on. They seem to be the only ones in the text who know who Jesus truly is. The disciples don't yet know who Jesus is. The religious leaders don't yet know who Jesus is. Oh, but the demons know who Jesus is. In the spiritual world, there's no ambiguity. There's no confusion about who sits on the throne of the universe. Jesus is the supreme power and authority unrivaled by even evil itself. And when Jesus comes to town, what Mark shows us is the demons leave. The big idea today is that Jesus has true power to bring lasting freedom to our lives. And I've just made the first point that Jesus has power enough to defeat the darkest evil in the world. The question becomes though for us, for you and me, okay, Luke, but what does this mean for my life? What does this mean for our life today? Let's look at the second point and we'll see together. Jesus has power enough to transform our lives too. Mark goes into great detail to show us a before and after picture of Jesus here. Maybe, do you remember this? Uh, every now and again, there's a craze on social media. It goes around where, where people, some new wonder drug or some new great workout regime or some fantastic diet or moisturizing cream comes along and some people feel it necessary to post a before and after. And the before is blech. And the after is kind of rather wonderful. Oh, I don't quite know how to... 
act that one out. But anyway, the after, it's before bad and after is lovely, right? It's exactly what Mark is doing in this passage, except the change is both remarkable and lasting. When we meet this man, he, he's a man who's possessed by an evil spirit who came out from the tombs to meet Jesus. This man lived in the burial caves, could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. You get a window into his life. When he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped them and he smashed them. No one was strong enough to subdue him. This man's life was about being subdued and reigned in. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, wandering around aimlessly, howling, cutting himself with sharp stones. I mean, this before picture that Mark gives us is so vivid. His life is marked by evil, even death itself. He lives literally amongst the tombs. I mean, in those days, just being near death made you unclean. If you were near a corpse, you had to go through ritual cleansing. And this guy lives in the state of uncleanness. He's bound, even physically chained and shackled. Mark's description of this guy's life is, it's not fitting of a human being. It's, it's, it's more fitting of a ferocious animal than a human being. His life is aimless and purposeless as he wanders around day and night, aimlessly wandering through the graves and the hillside. He's even lost his rhythms of work and sleep and rest. The very rhythms that make us human. He's isolated. He's lost his relationships. He has many demons inside of him. Now, I don't know exactly how this works, but it's clear from this text that it's happening though. His life has been overrun by evil. And then he encounters Jesus. And in that moment, everything is changed. In verse 15, we read together this encounter of Jesus. And they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. And he was sitting there, look at him here, fully clothed and perfectly sane. And they were all afraid, which is an interesting response. But let's look at what Mark wants to show us of the aftershot of this man's life. Why is this so important? Because Mark is showing us that Jesus doesn't just win the battle between good and evil on a cosmic out there universal scale. But Jesus' victory over evil reaches down and touches individual lives too. We've got to see this in this passage. It's not just that Jesus defeats evil out there in the cosmos. He does, it's true. It's it's undeniable in this text and many others. But Jesus' power over evil transforms individuals' lives too. After this man sees Jesus or after he meets Jesus, he's fully clothed, which is, I think, an indication of a restoration of dignity to this man. Jesus is giving him back his humanness, his humanity. He's perfectly sane, which among other things mean he's given his very personhood back. He's sitting there. I mean, just the most profound contrast from wandering around aimlessly day and night. Now he's sitting there. He's no longer distractive. He's no longer aimlessly searching and wandering, never finding rest. He's at peace. 
after meeting Jesus. It's a complete transformation. My point is that Jesus has power to transform individuals' lives. Jesus restores his humanity. His very humanness is what Jesus gives him back, which is, uh, which is amazing. I mean, he's capable of relationships again. We see later he's sent back to his family. He's capable of relationship. He's, he's got new peace and he's got dignity. And it's amazing news if your life is overrun by evil, but it's amazing news for Christ followers of decades too. This passage is really good news for us as Christ followers because I believe Jesus's power is not just cosmically out there over evil. It's not just individually there over evil when you're overrun, but it's also there to break the power of sin that binds all of our lives. And for the next few minutes, I'm speaking not so much about evil taking over a person's life as much as I'm speaking about the power of sin to bind and curb and shackle who we are and who we want to be and who we were made to be in Jesus. Let me explain. When you become a Christ follower, in one moment, supernaturally by the power of God, Jesus uses the word, you're born again right? You're never going to be the same. You're born again. Something altogether new has been placed at the center of who you are. You are alive to God in a way in which you weren't before and you will never cease to be again in the rest of your life. You're born again, a new creation. Paul said this. Your very nature is alive to God. But here's the thing. There's a residue of an old nature that still remains in who you are. Paul, Paul uses the word, uh, he speaks of it as the flesh. Sometimes it can be learned patterns of life or family of origin issues, habits, the way we live that shape the way we do relationships, shape the way we make decisions. It was Pete Scazzario in his book, Emotionally Healthy Leader. He said it like this. I love the way he put it. He says, we've got Jesus in our heart and we've got grandpa in our bones. I mean, just such a beautiful picture. Christ has come, there's a new thing, but there's this residue you, this family of origin, this history of who we are, which still curbs and shapes our present. Things from your past that still shape your life. Well, Jesus wants to bring freedom to those areas of our lives too. These battles though, in my experience, take much longer. Yet, Christ's power prevails all the same. Maybe if I can share with you from my own life. I grew up, and I grew up in, a, in homes full of conflict. By the time I was 12 or 13, we had lived through, we had worked through two divorces as a family. Um, and and in the divorces are messy situations and there's loads of conflict. And I grew up in homes of conflict where conflict was never really handled particularly well. And, and so I learned to handle conflict a particular way, uh, not a very good way. Uh, I learned to avoid conflict as much as I could, which if you know me, is not very long. And then suddenly to kind of, fight my way through it and dominate and make sure I can control the outcome and ensure my survival through it. And I always end up regretting how I handle these things. And uh, my rather lower lockdown moments, this stuff came to the surface again as I began reflecting on how sin is curbing me from being the person I want to be in Christ. And so what this passage for me means is that I come to Jesus to face these things. I don't hide away from him in the hillside, but I come running to Jesus with my brokenness. And therein, I come looking to him for grace to affirm me as who I am in him and to bring transformation to who I am. Pete Scazzario continues and he speaks about this as your shadow. And he says, your shadow is the accumulation of untamed emotions. 
less than pure motives and thoughts that while largely unconscious, strongly influence and shape your behaviors. It's the damaged but mostly hidden version of who you are. I wonder today, what's your shadow? What's your shadow? What's the part of you that lurks in the dark most of the time, but comes out when you're under pressure or in lockdown for many of us? Jesus asked this man the question. He says, what's your name? And Legion is this man's story, this man's name. I wonder, Legion obviously wasn't his name, but it was the one word description of his life. I wonder if Jesus was to ask you, what's your hidden name? What's your hidden name? What's your story? Is it user, abuser, angry, workaholic? Perhaps it's lust. What's your story? What's the, what's the hidden name that we hide from the world and we don't want to admit there, but we know is part of us and shapes our lives? Sometimes the thing that's got us is not sin or vice we struggle against, but it's a wound. Uh, a brokenness that we've picked up from our past, of a, a rejection that caused you to, 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 to overvalue the way other people think about you, uh, the approval of others that's become an addiction. These are wounds. Whatever it is, the pattern of this passage is moving towards Jesus in our brokenness and receiving from him healing and power to change these things. It's freedom and restoration moving towards Jesus. Well, I wonder, do you deal with your hidden name like this man or the people did with this man. They try and push him out the way. They try and hide him away, try and subdue him, try and just put it in a box and put it over there and pretend that it doesn't exist. I remember when I was a kid, I, uh, I, had, I got a wart on my foot and, uh, and I had to go to the doctor and the doctor had to burn this thing off me. It's quite a surreal experience to have to sit still while somebody burns something off you. If you've Probably, I mean, it's not that dramatic, but uh, it was for me as a kid, it was a big deal. All that to say, I remember the next time I got a wart. And I remember looking at this thing and I remember thinking, oh no, it can't, it can't be that. No, and, and trying to distract myself and trying to imagine that it wasn't there and kind of just uh, get on with life, go to rugby practice, just think, don't look there, just pretend that it's not there. I wonder uh, how many of us deal with our hidden names like that where we kind of just pretend that it's not there. But of course what happens is these things grow in hiddenness. They don't disappear. It's exactly the same with brokenness in our lives. The pattern of this text that Mark has for us and I wanna put to you today is in your brokenness, in your, your hidden name, if you will, to move toward Jesus because he, he, he meets us with grace and therein is the same power that triumphed cosmically over evil to bring transformation and change to your life and my life. Let's come to Jesus and have him change us. There's one more point we see in this text here. As we come to Jesus and we receive transformation, we see that we can allow this transformation in our lives to be a signpost to others. Let's read from verse 18 to 20 as we see our last point today. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord had done for you, how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of the region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. So beautiful piece of scripture there. Interesting though too, this man basically asked Jesus, he says, can I become one of your disciples? 
And strangely, certainly to me, Jesus says no. I mean, the language is that of becoming a disciple. That's Mark's language that he's using there. And it seems strange, but when you realize this man was a Gentile and Jesus first had to complete, complete the Jewish work that he was doing in order to incorporate the Gentiles too. It makes sense then, but instead of bringing this man in as a disciple, what Jesus does is something I think even more remarkable. You see, up to now, Jesus had been healing largely Jew, in Jewish areas, Jewish people in Jewish areas. And, and Almost to the person, he's told them all to keep silent about this work that Christ had done. And now in a dramatic pattern, in a dramatic break from the pattern, if you will, this man, a Gentile from a Gentile area, becomes the first missionary that Jesus ever sends. It's it's staggering. If you look at his CV, you'd read, he's a pagan with a possession, a demon possession history. He, he lives his life in self-loathing. He's covered in scars from his self-inflicted cuts. He's about one day old in the faith. And Jesus sends him out. I mean, it's remarkable. All he has is his own story of grace. I can just imagine him sharing his story as he says, I don't know how he did it. I certainly didn't deserve it, but he changed my life. Look, 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 here's the scars. I used to be like this, but now I'm whole again. I'm I'm human again. Jesus' power over evil changed my life. And and his very scars become pointers to Christ's power. As we learn, hey, can I speak to common grounders for a second? We need to be a people who seriously, who takes seriously Christ's power to bring freedom and transformation in the areas of our hidden names. It's only when we face our darkness, it's only when we we come to Christ and bring these things out of hiddenness and out of their little boxes where we bury them and we bring them to Jesus that we're gonna experience the kind of change that only Christ can bring in our lives. It cannot be as Christ followers that we're the people who who hide these things away, who pretend that they're not there and we let them live in darkness. Uh, We cannot be the people who superficially go on pretending that we, we're these kind of stepford perfect individuals. Guys, we're not. To be a Christ follower means we've been met by the transforming grace of Jesus. And he is at work renewing us day by day, moment by moment, week by week, year by year, making us more like him. And that doesn't happen when we live frantically busy lives where we're never able to slow down and do the soul work with Jesus we need to. It doesn't happen when we pretend we've got it all together. It happens when we honestly come to Jesus and we bring our hidden name out to him and he meets us in grace. While that battle rages on, my life is it's not, not always a moment. Most times it's not a moment. It's a process of transformation. But every day, every time I blow it, there's grace for me in Jesus. He affirms my identity. You know, you're a child of God. You've been bought with a price. I love you just the way you are, but too much to leave you that way. Come tomorrow, we'll do better. Next time, we'll get it right more. And he's constantly, gently changing who we are. And it's these It's these shadows, as Pete Scazzaro says, it's these hidden names brought to Christ, transformed by his power that 
Enable us to become pointers to Christ's power to our friends and our family in the world in which he sends us, just like this man. Our big idea today is Jesus has true power to bring lasting change to our lives. If you're a Christ follower, what's your hidden name? Come on, let's bring it to Jesus. Let's invite him into a journey to change who we are, that these things would die in us and that that wouldn't shape how we parent and how we love and how we make decisions and that we would be able to represent Jesus and point others to him because we've personally experienced his power, not just way back when, when we came to faith, but daily, moment by moment, as we're becoming more like Jesus. I'd love to pray for us in this area. Will you pray with me together? Let's pray. Firstly, for those of us who perhaps you wouldn't call yourself a Christ follower, but today you're ready to follow Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, just like this man, I can't clean up my life. I I can't change. I can't, I've tried. I cannot fix all that's wrong with who I am. But just like this man, I'm not hiding away from you. I'm not aimlessly wandering through my life. Right now, I choose to walk to meet you, Jesus. Will you receive me just as I am? Just as I am, I come to you. Will you take my life, Jesus, and make me new? I receive from you grace. Nowhere else in the world I can receive grace. You, Jesus, are a limitless, never-ending source of grace, and I'm drawn from you now. Jesus, would you put new life in me? Life that I cannot self-generate, but I know that I need to become more than what I am by your power at work in me. Jesus, I want to follow you. Come and change me and make me more like you. And then I'd love to lead those of us who are Christ followers in a prayer. It's a prayer of facing Jesus with our hidden names, with our shadow self. So let's close our eyes. Come Holy Spirit. And would you speak to us each individually, each in each home right now? I thank you that you're present. What's, what's your hidden self? What's your hidden name? What's that thing that you don't want to carry with you anymore? That thing that needs to come to, needs to cease in the power of Jesus. Will you bring that to him now? Jesus I come to you, not hiding who I am, but all of me. Take this thing, Jesus. I bring it to you. I'm drawing from you grace. Forgive me if it's sin, Jesus. Meet me in love and healing in my wound, Jesus. But would you begin a process now of transformation that every day, little by little, this thing would influence my life less and less and less. And so Jesus, come and bring change to to me and free me from my hidden self that I'd be truly and more fully like you, Jesus. I ask this in your name, by your power, Jesus, as I lean into you for grace and identity and even power and strength to go on fighting and become more like you, Jesus. Amen.